Amen. I like that one. And Josh has a good voice for it, doesn't he? Amen. He's practicing that, and um, appreciate that. It's good. Gets us thinking the right way. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. I mean, my goodness, can you imagine? No wonder she kept those things and pondered them in her heart. Boy, I can't imagine what went through her mind, you know, with all that was going on. And then to watch Jesus grow up, you know, and to see all these things unfold before and realize, and then place her faith and trust in, in Christ for her salvation. What a wonderful, wonderful thought, wonderful song. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. You did a good job. We uh, have available, or we will soon have available, the CDs which we recorded here at the church, uh, just Christmas songs. Now, I, I, I would like to remind you that we're not professionals, um, and we just want to please the Lord. And we wanted, uh, our desire was to give you something at the Christmas season that you could put in and listen to and enjoy. And uh, wonderful, wonderful CD. I'm very happy with it. Uh, ten songs, I guess about an hour of music, maybe 40 or 50 minutes of music. One of the songs on there is Mary Did You Know? And uh, Mrs. Knopf graciously allowed me to accompany her uh, on the trombone. And so uh, she was able, able to cover up a multitude of sins for me. And then the magic of the, magic of the recording studio. Thank, uh, so thankful for, uh, for the recording studio and the heart of the man that owns it uh, in, I think, really appreciating and understanding what it is that we're doing. Those CDs are f uh, free of charge. Um, you can, if you'd like to give towards our music program, you can. Um, it helps us with various different things, uh, sheet music, and, and we have to water the piano, and water costs money. So uh, we use distilled water, and there's chemicals that we have in a, in a hydrator. Um, by the way, the, the people we bought the piano from, they service our piano. They say, you should be commended for care you take it's an it's a it was a gift to us to the church but i want to be a good steward of those things which god gives us and so that's why you hear the pastor say from time to time uh don't set things on that don't use that to as a writing surface you know i'm not being picky because i of stuff i i really believe that's a gift ultimately from god and by the way that piano would mean nothing without the gift that we have through a piano player I'm so grateful that we have a wonderful piano player. I know she's going to be mad at me for saying that. But that's a gift from God, and she has a gift from God. I want to encourage that, uh, that all of you use what God gives you for his glory, his honor. And I never intended on saying that much. Matthew, I'm sorry, that was Sunday school. How about 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and uh, verse number 15. I, I want to go to two places today, so... When you find 2 Corinthians 9, would you do me a favor and go back and find Luke chapter 2? Now, you're gonna, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians 9, and uh, we'll end up stepping through, uh, again, the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2 this week. Uh, so 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 and uh, verse number 15 where we'll draw our text from, and then uh, we'll go back in just a minute and step through the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 
and uh, verse number 15, simple verse, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help me today to effectively communicate those things which you've impressed upon my heart. And Lord, those conclusions which you've brought me to, I pray that you'd bring others as well. We're going to thank you and praise you for it. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to remember uh, the birth of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we would never separate the account of Christmas from the account of the cross. Lord, that it would stick fresh in our minds and that as we tell others about that and bring attention to it this time of year, that, that we would be faithful, Lord, to, uh, to be sure to tell people about not just the account of Christmas and, and what happens at Christmas, but what happened at the end or really at the beginning, the account of the cross. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm sorry. I forgot. I got to talking about something else and I forgot to mention uh, that we have uh, our Faith Promise Missions uh, again. Uh, you might say, well, we already did that this year. We did, but it was because we got delayed, um, COVID reasons. We got delayed in our ability to have to gather for the, uh, for the annual meeting last year. So we kind of made up for it in June. And we have uh, missions, uh, Faith Missions slips again. If you've already filled one of these out, I would ask you to fill it out again and uh, pray about it and see what God would have you to give. I'm confident of this thing, that, that if we do what God tells us to do as individuals, all the needs are going to be met. Um, and there's some, some folks that are newer, uh, that have uh, just joined the church, uh, and, and some folks that may have not been able to participate before, you'd like to do it now, fine. You just pray about it. Don't feel pressure from me. Uh, our, our missions budget going into 2021, uh, be about $800 a month, and, uh, and so that equates, if you divide the families, about $38 a family per month, and so uh, just to help you break it down in your own minds, and, um, and so some of you are, um, the Lord may not change what you're giving, and so I want to encourage you to do that. Don't, uh, don't feel pressured uh, to do that. Pray about it. Do what God tells you to do. These slips are available at the check-in table. You'll have to go look for them. You fill them out, no names. We don't want to know names. We just need to know how to proceed forward. So fill out the amount. Uh, put it in the offering box by January the 3rd, and we'll announce the results at our New Year's Sunday uh, evening service. We'll announce uh, the result and see where the Lord takes us. I'm confident uh, that God's going to do a wonderful work. It's my desire, as we had just turned seven years old, sometime last year, um, Larry Main would probably know exactly when because I, you know, I talk about these things. And, uh, but God put it in my heart to have a missionary on every continent. And uh, this year we'll be able to add South America uh, if, if we'll do what the Lord says. So uh, that's one of the things we're, we're going to be able to do. So uh, there's a missionary to Peru named Patrick Pruitt. And uh, he's doing a good work. God's using him mightily down there. And so we'd be able to add him the Christian Law Association, who has helped us numerous times as we've established as a church, uh, given us templates for bylaws and, you know, help with uh, what we had to do as a, as a church in the state of Washington and questions I've had along about, boy, what do we do about legalized marijuana? What do we do about, you know, service animals? We've, we've uh, tapped into the CLA uh, for many different things, and we're looking at bringing them on. We never have supported them, but they've given us free legal counsel. Uh, no charge, just what they do, uh, and we bring them on for $50 a month. And then 
Another one is Al Reichman and the missionary, the missionary evangelist that comes through, has come through several times to the Jewish people. Uh, and so we'll be able to do that. Let's do what God tells us to do, and I'm confident we can. Well, we're back in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 15, and it's part two of the a series of messages, The Unspeakable Gift. That was uh, for you to write down at the top of your notes if you're so inclined to do so. Uh, it's also given for the guy that's doing the video right now, so he knows what title to put on it uh, so that he can archive it on our website. But uh, it's The Unspeakable Gift. And we talked about this last Sunday. We looked at 2 Corinthians 9.15 and its relationship to Luke chapter 1. This week we're going to go to Luke chapter 2. And we concluded last week, though, that the unspeakable gift of God, that is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ, is a miraculous gift. We saw the miraculous appearance of an angel, uh, God's messenger named Gabriel. We saw a miraculous announcement that he made concerning the birth of Christ. We saw a miraculous act in which God used the virgin to do it. And so we looked at those three things last week, that the unspeakable gift is a miraculous gift. Now, this week, uh, we look at it again, and we see this uh, mention of an unspeakable gift, and uh, this week, we will look at how it is not just a miraculous gift, but it's a marvelous gift. When something is unspeakable, it's something that we can't quite give words to. I drove past another uh, church marquee, and uh, the, the translation they used, and I'm not picking on translation, so please don't misunderstand me. But the translation they used on their marquee for 2 Corinthians 9.15 said, uh, uh, the, didn't say the unspeakable gift. Uh, it, it used a different word. It really softened it, really softened the language of it. And, and I thought, boy, unspeakable is such a, more, such a stronger word. When somebody does something that's unspeakable, a lot of times we think of it in the light of something horrible, something horrible. And, and, but when it comes to the, the gift that God gives us through the Lord Jesus Christ, we think of it differently, don't we? Un, what an unspeakable gift. I mean, we just can't give it words. But, but at the same time, there is an attachment of horror to it. As we, we think about the birth of Christ and the account of Christmas and how we attach that to the account of the cross, the, the account of the cross is a horrible thing. You know, sometimes we look at the cross of, of Calvary and we imagine it as, as something that was way off. I'm telling you, when the Romans would crucify somebody, it was the worst form of punishment that they could, they could inflict on a person. And they didn't do it far away. They did it up close because they wanted to use it as a public deterrent. And so the sounds and the smells and the, and, 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 and the sights, what they saw, it was right there, right there in the way where people could get close to it. I mean, we have that account of how John stood with uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the foot of the cross. And he was able to speak in, in speaking tones to John and say, say John, uh, behold your mother. He was, he was giving the care of his mother over to the apostle John. And he was able to do that in, tone, in speaking tones. He didn't have strength to yell it from the side of a mountain. But it was all right there. It was all very close. It was all very gory. And, and uh, I... I don't want to gross anybody out, but you could see it. You could smell it, the gore. You could hear the spatter of the blood on the ground. It was right there, right up close. And that's the horror of, of that account of the cross. But there's such a glory in it for the believer who's placed their faith in Christ alone as their only hope of relationship with God and a home in His presence for eternity. What a marvelous 
gift. What an unspeakable gift we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've um, all heard the phrase, looks can be deceiving, right? I um, remember occasions, my grandfather was, was quite the comedian. Um, he had a very quick wit. Um, and I'm sure it got him in as much trouble as my wit has gotten me in trouble. Uh, sometimes uh, my wife has said, you know, you don't have to say everything that comes to mind. And I tell her, I don't. That's the thing, you know. And so my grandfather and I had a great relationship. Uh, he, my mother's father. Uh, so my maternal grandfather. And we always uh, joked around with each other. We always had a new joke to share uh, with each other. And he's a great joke teller. He had a great laugh and uh, great memories of my grandfather. But around Christmas time, my grandfather uh, would always, <laughs> and I don't know why, uh, it never occurred to me, never, maybe it was the excitement of Christmas, but it never, it, it, I, I was always kind of shocked by it, always found it to be humorous, uh, that my grandfather would wrap up an old potato. And he'd put it in a beautiful box and he'd wrap it beautifully. He'd conceal that potato in a, in, in, inside some things inside of the box. He would weight the box different ways so that every year, you know, as I pick up this beautifully wrapped gift from Grandpa to Greg, you know, I would see it and I'd get excited that what was inside and I'd unwrap it and I'd go through all the stuff that was on the inside and pick out all the stuff that was on the inside and, and there it was, the old rotten potato. You say, well, what, what was that all about? I don't know. It was just funny. And uh, one year he got me really good because I, I picked up the box and I said, oh, here's my potato. And he said, I don't know how in the world he ever figured to do this. But he said, no, that's not a potato. And I said, oh, sure it is. He said, no, I promise you, it's not, a, not an old rotten potato. I, I'm not going to do that to you this year. And I was almost disappointed, you know, but I unwrapped the box. And you know it was wrapped up deep down inside that box, concealed inside that wrapping? It was an old dried-out hot dog. He didn't give me a potato. He gave me an old nasty dried-out, looked like jerky hot dog, had the bun and everything. It was awful, moldy bun. And we got a good laugh out of that. But we've all heard that. We see that example of that Christmas gift that has been wrapped to conceal what is inside so that the recipient of the gift is surprised as to what they've been given. And I'm telling you, the presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ to this world was not in a way that most would have expected. At first glance, that lowly manger scene concealed something that was, wasn't a dried-out old potato. It wasn't a dried-out old hot dog. It was a marvelous gift, much more marvelous than anyone could have ever imagined. And I'm thinking about that song that Josh did saying That was so fitting for this message today. Mary, did you know? That little bundle of joy, that little package that God delivered uh, to you, through you, did you know? That when you kiss that baby's face, you're kissing the face of God. Do you know that, that those hands are going to heal the blind man? You know, the, the blind were healed, the deaf were healed, the dead shall rise again. Mary, did you know? Did you know? Well, I tell you, it's quite a thought. In that manger scene, you know, I, I appreciate the ladies who took the time to direct, uh, to decorate the uh, church and, and these things, and we've got. We've got the manger scene down at the bottom of the, of the pulpit here. But you know that manger scene conceals something much more marvelous than anyone could ever imagine. That little baby Jesus in there, you know. But I want to show you some things from Luke chapter 2. First of all, let's look at this marvelous gift. And it came by a sovereign decree. 
Now, a decree, it says in uh, verse number 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, a decree was an imperial order. It was, uh, and so we might look at that and say, well, that, that was the sovereign decree. But I, I, I would argue that wasn't the sovereign decree. Uh, he was the sovereign of the land, but that wasn't the sovereign decree. Uh, but a decree is, a, is an imperial order. Now, Caesar Augustus ruled, if you're interested, uh, from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D., so 27 years before uh, Christ to, uh, arrived, and then uh, 14 years after that. And he was in power uh, then. We have additional information in verse number 2 that helps us narrow down exactly what time period uh, this would have been. That's one of the things I appreciate about the Word of God, that we realize these things did not happen in a vacuum. They happened. You can look at world history and realize that they, these events were not made up. They took place uh, in, in history. And so it's one of the things that we can look at and, and uh, just look at the evidence and, and realize this is true. This is truth. Well, one of the greatest testimonies we had, a great friend of mine um, used to attend this church, and, and uh, his testimony of salvation was that he was sitting there one Sunday morning reading the Word of God. And uh, it, was in, it was in the Gospels, and he was reading about Jesus, the stories of Jesus, and his dealings with the apostles. And he realized that, as he read, this is true. This isn't made up, but this is true. And that was his testimony of salvation, that he, that he realized that the Word of God was true, and, and then began to place his faith and trust in Christ alone because of what the Word of God says about Christ and about the provision of Christ. Great testimony. As good a testimony of Christianity as I've ever heard. He wasn't in church. He had a, his wife was saved. He was not. His wife was at church. He was at home sitting in his recliner reading his Bible. And God illuminated his mind. And he, and he came to the realization, this is real. This is true. This isn't some fairy tale. This isn't some story, you know, just made up story. And so uh, we see here uh, this uh, reference point of time. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. So we have a have a, a reference to uh, this point in time, what time the period it would have been. Now, Augustus, I want you to listen closely to this so, so you can follow my train of thought. And if you know me, you know my train of thought is a crazy train. So you have to stay on board so, so you can go with me on the crazy train, right? And um, so Augustus was the first emperor of the Roman Empire, if I'm, if I'm remembering my history correctly and I've read correctly. And so what, some of the things that he did Follow this because it's important, it's germane to the subject. One of the things that he did is he established the first law enforcement and firefighting forces in Rome. That's one of the things that Caesar Augustus did. Pretty interesting, isn't it? That there was an organized public uh, policing uh, law enforcement department and uh, firefighting in Rome. He had the command uh, of 170,000 soldiers. So there was some, uh, there's some, certainly some military uh, responsibility he had. So he's got law enforcement. He started law enforcement. He started firefighting in Rome. He had the command of 170,000 soldiers. And he also, the roads had already been, been built, but he maintained, I want you to key on in, in on that. He maintained, not like they do in Spokane, he maintained the Roman roads, right? And so, now I want you to think for just a minute. Where do you think the money came from for them to have law enforcement, firefighting, uh, 170,000 soldiers, and road maintenance. Where'd that come from? 
Okay, let me give you a clue. It's found in verse number one. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be, say it, taxed. That's where it came from. That's interesting. And it's really, you, you say, well, what, what does that have to do with the message? Well, you'll see as we go through this. And I wanted to bring that up and, and kind of make this parallel that often the declarations and demands that are placed upon us are in opposition to the plans we have made. I don't know about you, but I had plans for that money before the government taxed it, right? But that's, that, that's just something that's unavoidable. As somebody has said, the only thing that are sure in life are, are death and taxes, right? And so often the declarations and demands that are placed upon us are in opposition to the plans that we have made. In fact, God orchestrates the affairs of men to bring about his divine plans. And, and that's an important thing that we need to remember about God always when we, when we start to look at what's going on around us and we start to have anxiety and fear and, and these things all kind of start piling up on us, we need to realize that God is still on the throne. God is still at work orchestrating the affairs of men to bring about His divine plans. Don't worry about it. He's in control. It's one of the stabilizing truths we, we have about God. So with that thought in mind, I want you to see here that there was an unavoidable circumstance. Joseph had to go pay taxes. He didn't have a choice. He didn't have a choice. Now, life is full of unavoidable circumstances. And I've used a, a few biblical illustrations here in the Old Testament. Jacob's son, uh, one of his sons was named Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery. Remember the story by his brothers? And that was an awful circumstance to be in. Wouldn't you, if your brothers and your siblings sold you into slavery, wouldn't that be kind of a, a bad situation? An unavoidable circumstance? If you had an older sister or older brother, you know how that is. You can't do anything to defend yourself. You know, I had a little sister. I'd hold her out at arm's length, and she'd swing at me. You know, there's nothing unavoidable. And, and so here's Joseph, uh, sold into slavery by his brothers, an awful circumstance for that young man to be in. And we could go through the story of Joseph. We have at other times. But he ended up becoming the second in charge of Egypt and was able to deliver his family during an unprecedented famine. You see, God's always working in our lives for his glory and our good. Bad circumstance, unavoidable, but he used that in Joseph's life to, to bring that about, to deliver the nation, really. David was sent on an errand by his father to check on his brothers. Did you know that that's what led up to him fighting Goliath? But he didn't have a choice. Dad said, go check on your brothers. See how they do. Bring, bring some of this, the, this food, this cheese and stuff, and give it to the captain. And so David, he didn't have a choice. He got up, he went and did what he was told to do. He got criticized for it. His brothers, you know, heard him talking and said, you know, the only reason you've come, matter of fact, he hadn't opened his mouth. He, he, he just showed up and they said, the only reason you've come here is, is to be nosy and see what's going on. He got criticized for it. And yet, even all those things out of his control, he ended up fighting Goliath and winning. You see, there's unavoidable circumstances. All of us have them. In our lives, it's always. Uh, Daniel was a teenager when he was made captive to Babylon. He was forced into education and a diet and a name change that was designed to take away his identity. But look what Daniel was able to accomplish for the glory of God in captivity. 
In captivity, Esther became the queen uh, of Persia, and she was able to save her people from, by exposing a wicked plot to destroy all the Jews in the kingdom. And so, bad circumstance, out of their control, but God used it to bring about his divine plan. It's good for us to remember. I want you to write this down. If the only thing you remember today, I want you to remember this. It's good for us to remember that anything out of our control is in the will of God. Write that down. Anything out of your control, my control, is in the will of God. It's not going to happen if it's not in the will of God. God's going to take care of it. He's going to use it to bring about His divine plans. When you get done writing that down, look at me for a minute. I want to, I want to give to you some simple truth that I hope will help you like it's helped me. Nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing. He already knew. And so uh, we look at that. We remember that. Uh, there, there's an unavoidable circumstance. Joseph had to go pay taxes. Taxes. There's an unapproachable ruler. Now, Augustus, if you ever get a chance to read some on this, I mean, it's easy enough today. You don't have to know anything. You just Google it, right? You know. And uh, don't trust everything you read. Don't trust everything you hear. And my goodness, don't even trust everything you see. There's only one thing you can trust. It's the Word of God because it's a fixed point of reference. It's God's complete revelation of Himself to man. It's the only thing that's reliable. Uh, get yourself a good translation of the Scriptures. Trust that. Uh, everything you see, everything you hear, every, everything you uh, read, uh, filter it through this book. It'll, it'll help you. Uh, but um, uh, Augustus, if you read about him, he's actually a, a relatively... Everything's relative in the Roman Empire. He was a relatively uh, mild ruler. But the fact is, you don't get to the position Augustus had and, and, and earn a position as one of the greatest military leaders of all times by being a pushover. So he was a mild ruler, but he was not a pushover. And uh, so when he made this decree, he meant what he said. And the taxing was decreed twice during his, his tenure, and it wasn't as if Joseph could even appeal the decision. I mean, it wasn't a democracy where they could stand out in front of Walmart and sign a petition and have it brought before the legislation for a revote or, or uh, you know, for to the will of the people. This just wasn't going to happen. They had to do it. Unavoidable circumstance, unapproachable ruler. Um, uh, but... With all these things considered, it's amazing to contemplate that God moved the most powerful ruler of the time to organize a census and impose a taxing which would fulfill his plan for the Christ to be born in Bethlehem. Now, last week we mentioned this. I just want to bring it up very quickly again. That um, I'm going to turn this fan on for me. It'll circulate the air in here. It's not going to get on you. You know me. I'm a Chevy. I run hot. So um, as most of you are Ford. You run a little cool. Uh, and I, so I hope that it doesn't harm anybody. I think we'll be just fine. Now, uh, what we're talking about here is, is mentioning here is what we mentioned a little bit last week, how that when Gabriel delivered the message, when Gabriel delivered the message of Christ coming through Mary, what city were they in? Does anybody remember? Gabriel went to a, a city of Galilee called Nazareth. Very good. You all get a star on your on your on your chart. Good job. What's the problem with that? The problem with that is Micah the prophet said that the Christ child should be born in Bethlehem, about 70 miles away, and it wasn't a, wasn't a very easy journey. 
I mentioned I well, well I'll mention this later uh, that uh, Bethlehem is in is in the hills, and uh, and so it wasn't a necessarily easy journey. Some, somehow, somehow, for God's word to be fulfilled to in the minute detail, uh, that lady had to get to that place for God's word to be fulfilled, for the prophecy to be fulfilled. Well, how did that happen? It happened by sovereign decree. I'm not talking about the sovereign decree of the Roman uh, Emperor, uh, Caesar Augustus. I'm talking about the sovereign decree of God that used Caesar Augustus' Caesar Augustus's decree to unfold his divine plan of the Christ being born in Bethlehem. You see, he made it impossible. He put uh, Joseph in an impossible situation and made this decree that Joseph uh, could not avoid and he couldn't approach uh, this unapproachable ruler. And he did it in order to get Joseph and Mary who is expecting the Christ from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now that's, that's quite a marvelous thing when we think about that unspeakable gift. Just that, that marvelous moving of the hand of God. I, I hope that excites you like it excites me to see the sovereign hand of God at work. The exact time was precise. Uh, we spoke last week also of how the timing was in the exact accordance with Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Um, uh, we also uh, looked at Galatians 4, 4. When the fullness of time was come, the time was right religiously. The time was right politically. The time was right culturally. So God had all of it worked out at a precise time. That decree had to be made. The deadline had to be set in order to get that baby from that place to this place over here at the exact time that Christ should be born. So the exact time was precise. The exact place was precise. Micah 5, 2, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. Uh, he that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. And it's amazing to contemplate that the God of heaven moved the most powerful ruler of the time to organize a census and impose a tax which would fulfill God's plan for Christ to be born at an exact time and in an exact place. So Caesar's decree was really the sovereign decree of God. Augustus just didn't know it. So there was a sovereign decree. But also there's a special destination. Look back in Luke chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 3 through 5. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, uh, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Now, we've already observed in God's word, uh, Bethlehem was a prophesied city. We found that in Micah 5 too. Uh, some have, uh, some that, that had heard Christ speak uh, and observed the miracles that he performed asked this question. Some, uh, they said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? They couldn't figure that. He said, Hath not the scripture said that, that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? They, they asked this question when they met Christ. And they're questioning the validity of Christ's claims. 
and the claims of others about Christ. When John the Baptist would stand and say, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. There can't be anything that was mistaken what he was saying. What Christ said about himself. Matthew chapter 2, we, we learn that Herod, being unnerved by the inquiry of the wise men, imposed a death sentence upon all the male children, two years old and under, in an effort to exterminate the one whom he perceived was a great threat to his dynasty. God warned Joseph, and, and so he escaped to Egypt with Mary and Jesus. But when Herod was dead, the angel of the Lord, and I'm kind of quoting and mixing in just you know, my account of this is explaining it. And, and the Lord appears unto Joseph in a dream and says, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. So Joseph packs up the family and he goes back to Judea and being warned of, a God, of God in a dream uh, because uh, Archelaus, Herod's son, was ruling in his father's uh, stead. He came and he, he dwells in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. Yes, he was born in Bethlehem, but what did they call him? They called him a Nazarene. And so, when the people saw what Christ did, and they heard the words that he spoke, they should have thought to ask this question, when, and instead of saying, well, wait a minute, shall Christ come out of Galilee? I mean, the scripture has said, this, this guy's a nut. He's awful full of himself, calling himself the, uh, the uh, God incarnate, calling himself God. I mean, the, 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 the scriptures tell us that the Messiah comes out of Bethlehem, not Nazareth. They didn't know the backstory, And so what they should have done when they heard what Christ spoke, when they saw the miracles that he performed, when, when they heard the claims that he was making, they, they should have said to Jesus, Jesus, we know where your family is from, but where were you born? You see? It was a special destination. Bethlehem was a prophesied city. Bethlehem was a providing city. Bethlehem uh, provided physical bread. By this we mean a physical food. Bethlehem is in a region, like I said, of naturally terraced hills which provide an ideal place to shelter sheep in the wintertime. And I think you know this, but sheep are a Jewish staple because they can't eat bacon. Right? They can't have BLTs. they got to have MLTs. You know what an MLT is? Mutton, lettuce, and tomato. You can't have a BLT. I feel sorry for them. It's okay to laugh. Are you with me? It's warm in here, I know, but we'll, we'll get through this. Bethlehem provided physical bread. It's, it was a region that was ideal for that. We know that Bethlehem not only provided the region with physical bread, it also provided the world with the spiritual bread. Jesus said in John 6, 35, right after he fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two small fish, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger again. Bethlehem was a, was a special destination. It was a prophesied city. It was a providing city. So we see in Luke chapter 2 a sovereign decree, a special destination. And thirdly, notice with me a, a supernatural delivery. A supernatural delivery. Look at verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now here's the picture. You've got it down in front of you. I don't mind if you look down there and, and think about this. 
insert yourself into this moment of time, right? Internalize this. Think about it. Here's the picture. You got a stable. You've got some animals. You got some animals. I got four grandchildren. You got some animals. um, You've got a man. You've got a woman. You've got a little baby. But I want you to remember where we started. Looks can be deceiving. As you look at that little baby in a manger down there in that Larry Main introduced a new, uh, a new phrase to me, a new term to me, in the Koresh. I don't know where it comes from, but it's, I looked it up. It's for real. It's called the Koresh, the stable and the, all the little figurines called the Koresh. He's a fancy guy. He was an officer in the Navy. I wasn't, you know, so I don't know that stuff. They teach him that in the officer training. I, I don't know. But I want you to look at that little baby in the manger. If you could see him, don't get up and walk over there, but <laughs> later on if you... I want you to look at that and realize and remember. And, and here's what else I need you to do. Our little children are going to be fascinated by this, and they already have been. And you know what they do every time? We've set this up, Judy, and you've seen it. They love this thing. And they'll come down here, and I need a couple things from you. First of all, I teach them to look, not touch. But they love to come down here, and I've watched them do it over and over again over the years, just the few short years that we've been together as a church, they'll come and they'll sit down right, right in front of it. And they'll just look at that thing. They love it. And I'm glad they love it. It's a beautiful picture of what we celebrate this time of year. And you know what I do? I get down next to them. Now, if you can get, the problem is not getting down, it's getting up sometimes, right? So I'm not recommending that anybody else does this, but if you see me on the ground, don't, don't have to call 911 unless it looks like I need help getting up. But they come and I sit down next to them, and I tell them, I tell them the story. I point the things out. I say, look, see the camels there? They always like the animals first, you know. I said, what's that? That's a cow. What are those? Those are sheep. See the shepherds here? Who are these, Pastor? Oh, those are the wise men the Bible talks about. Then I move on in, and I say, see that? See that man right there? That's Joseph, Mary's husband. It's not Jesus' father. It's Mary's husband. That's the way he's referred to in the scriptures. I say, see, see Mary? And then I point to that little baby in a manger, and I say, you know who that is? And some of them know, some of them don't. Some of them know because we've told them that's baby Jesus. But don't ever stop there because looks can be deceiving. That little bundle of joy, that package that's wrapped up in swaddling clothes. Oh my, it's much more marvelous than we could ever begin to think about. Did you know that's the, this is just representation of it. I don't want to, you know, give some false impression. What we have represented there is much more than a baby in a manger. You see, God became a man. In that man's body, went to the cross. Let me back up. God became a man without ever ceasing to be God. And in that man's body lived the sinless life. Went to the cross, shed his blood, died, was buried, rose again, according to the scriptures. The word of God told, tells the story. It can be very, it's, it's true. We can put our faith there. So that little bundle joy, the little, the little baby, 
wrapped in rags. It was supposed to be the son of Joseph and Mary. is much, much more. You know, that supposition that Jesus was the son of Joseph and Mary followed Jesus throughout his entire life. Matthew 13.55 records that even those in his own hometown said, Is this not the carpenter's son? Mother is, is not his mother called Mary. And on the surface, what appears to be a little baby is much more than that. Folks, I want to remind you as we draw this to a close today about this marvelous, unspeakable gift. But Jesus, that little baby, is called the Son of the Highest. He's the Son, but He's one. He's co-eternal. He's co-equal in power and in authority and existence. And, and He's equal with God. He, he didn't wasn't ashamed to him to consider himself to be equal with God, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He made himself a baby. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He is, uh, he is the son of the highest. He is God in the flesh. Take your Bible. I want you to look at something. I want you to consider something this morning. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And I want to show you this. Because this is something that I take as an issue. And Again, I'm not jumping up and down and picking on other translations of the Scriptures, but I do want to show you something. 1 Timothy 3.16, the Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And, and right after that it says, God was manifest in the flesh. See, Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, in other translations that are inferior to the King James, it says He was manifest in the flesh. Now, let me ask you a question. What's easier to understand? A proper pronoun or just a pronoun? When you use a proper pronoun, there's no doubt who that is. That's God. My friends, I said it last week, and I'll say it again. I'll say it as long as the Lord gives me breath. It is impossible. It is impossible to have a relationship with God outside of believing that Jesus is God in the flesh. Co-eternal, co-existent, uh, co-authoritative in every possible way. He is God in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And so what I'm saying is this. Christmas is not just about presents. It is about God's presence on this earth. God became a man without ever ceasing to be God. Now, that's the picture. I want you to see something of the prophecy. In particular, in verse 7, where it says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. The way that baby Jesus was swaddled would have been similar to the way that they wrapped a body for burial. You hear what I said? This was something that was significant enough that God would include it in His Word. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, the same type of thing that we use for a burial. So from the very beginning, very birth, we're reminded of the future of Christ. And it's why we should never separate the account of Christmas from the account of the cross. Jesus was born. That little baby that you see represented in that 
Koresh down at the base of the pulpit, was born to die for the sins of mankind. Let's personalize that. He was born to die for your sins and my sins. You look at that baby, that representation of that baby, and realize that. And when our little children kneel down there to enjoy the shiny things and the beautiful decorations, you bring them to that point and say, you know who that is? Yeah, that's baby Jesus. You know why he was born? That little baby was born to die for my sin and for your sin. You say, oh, my goodness, the children need to hear that? Yes. Not long ago, I was preaching the gospel at a funeral. At the request of the man who died, he wanted the gospel to be preached. He told me that before he died. Right. Are you with me? And somebody in the congregation, when I started speaking of the blood of Christ, covered the ears of their children. Made their children cover their ears. He said, what did you do? I stopped the service. I said, don't do that. Your children hear much more horrific things on the radio and on television, and video games, and it leads them to destruction. But what I'm telling you about the blood and gore of the cross of Calvary will lead them to Christ. My goodness, let's not take this opportunity we have as, as Christians, followers of Christ, to tell our children the, of the story of how Jesus, how God became a man, and He did it to pay for their sin, to become sin for them. And He didn't ever sin. It wasn't His fault. It wasn't fair. We might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Matthew one twenty one says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. So the prophecy, we look at there in particular, those swaddling clothes, and how from the very beginning, reminded at his birth of Jesus' future. And this lastly, look at this in, in Luke chapter 2, verse number 7, the second half of the verse, where the word of God says, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. That's part of the story, isn't it? And we're going to bring it to a conclusion right there, and an invitation at that. You see, the materialistic have no room for Jesus. That's why the a song like Hark the Herald Angels Sing can be playing in the mall, and it doesn't affect people like it ought to affect them. It, it, it bounces off of, almost off of deaf, deaf ears. But we know, we take confidence in the great fact that the Word of God shall not return void unto itself. But you, you, I don't know about you. I, I know I'm weird, and I told you my, my, train is, my train of thought is the crazy train. I, I understand. But I can't understand for the life of me how people can go about their business in life and not be affected by the songs which play on, in the stores this time of year. I can't put it together. I'll be having a holy conniption fit in the checkout line at the grocery store when the, when the radio's playing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, Peace on Earth and Mercy Mild, God and Sinners Reconciled. And I'm sitting there listening to it, and I'm looking around at sinners all around me, and I'm thinking about myself, and I'm about to have a holy conniption in the checkout line at Yoke's. Yeah. 
And I'm looking at everybody else and it's, it's like it doesn't even register. You know why? You know why you can go to the shopping mall and on Black Friday and the music's playing? That, that doctrinal strong music is playing? I mean, mild he lays his glories by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. And they can go around and fight over stuff on Black Friday because to the materialistic, they don't have room for Jesus. Sometimes we fall into that trap, don't we? We get so busy with, with everything that goes on around Christmas, we forget to connect that story and realize He came to this earth to pay for my sin. The intellectual have no room for Jesus. That's why they try to remove him from the public platform. That's why they sue because of, of uh, uh, people who have, um, you know, manger scenes or whenever you see something on a public property. That's why they don't want that stuff there because Jesus just doesn't fit inside their, their stream of thinking. Because it's not, it's not, uh, it's not rational. You know, because to the intellectual, there's no room for Jesus. You know what? This might surprise you, but the religious don't have room for Jesus either. They're too busy going about all the traditions and ceremonies that, you know, and, and honestly, it's, it's one of those things that I, I got to think about as a, as a pastor, that I don't leave the church to do something religiously that leaves Jesus out. Because sometimes even the religious don't have room for Jesus. We need to be careful of that, don't we? So my question regarding all of this today that we've spoken of is simply this. Do you have room for Jesus this Christmas season? Year after year, this goes back to last week's bulletin, and forgive me if you haven't had a chance to read it. Um, you can go back and read it. I, I, I don't keep any of them. I probably should. Mrs. Knopf probably has a file of all my devotions. Do you have a file of all my? See, I know her well enough. She keeps everything. You need a copy of that. I'll get a hold of Mrs. Knopf. She can send me a copy. Folks, would you listen to what I'm? Uh, this is so important. Not because I've said it, but because because. It's, it's, it gives God glory. But year after year, we celebrate the Christmas holiday. And we talk about the Christmas story. And it doesn't, it's a nice story, and we agree it's a nice story, but it doesn't have a dynamic effect on us. And why would God talk about it in His Word if He didn't intend for this, this account to have a dynamic effect in our lives. You say, well, I'm already, I've already trusted Christ as my Savior. Yes, but it's, it, God has designed His Word to help conform us into the image of Christ. So what is it? What is it today? Maybe you've not trusted Christ as your Savior. Do you have room for Christ? Will you, will you trust in Christ alone as your only hope of relationship with God and a home in His presence for eternity? We just lay aside materialism and intellectualism and, and religion and trust in Christ alone and realize that none of those things are nearly as important as a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe if you've already trusted Christ as your Savior, maybe, maybe the question is, is what, 
what dynamic effect is Christmas going to have on me this year? Am I just going to go through the same motions all over again? Or am I going to allow this story to impact my life and conform me into the image of Christ? Do you have room for Jesus? Do you have room for growth in your, in your walk with God? You say, well, it's Christmas time. Yeah. We get to observe it every year, but this year, let's make it different. Let's stand a little closer to it. Let's, let's consider that fact when we see and think about that little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and what that means and, and, the, and the fact that the, the account of Christmas is connected to the account of the cross. And let it be a time of the year when we're drawn closer to God and more like Christ than we've ever been. Because we realize he died for me. Because he died, I died. I, I no longer am bound by, by my flesh. Because he rose again, I, I, I rise again in the strength of his spirit. He lives for me and intercedes for me. Oh, do you have any room for Jesus today? Is there any room? I hope so. We'll have a time of invitation. Mrs. Knoft is going to play song number 308. You'll hear the tune, but you'll recognize it simply as this. Have you any room for Jesus? I appreciate your attention this morning. If you're not yet trusted in Christ as your Savior, do it today. Do you have room for Jesus? Do you have room to believe that God became a man without ever ceasing to be God. And in that man's body, shed his blood, went to the cross, shed his blood, died, was buried, and rose again for you, for me. And so trust Christ is your only hope of relationship with God, home in his presence for eternity. If you're saved this morning, do you have room for Jesus this Christmas season? Will you allow it to, this, this story, this account, to have a dynamic effect on you, to make you more like Christ through this season? Would you rehearse it in your mind? as you look at, the, at all the sights and the sounds and, and let it bring you back to why we celebrate it. He was born to die on Calvary as a, one of the Christmas songs go. Oh, let it have its dynamic effect on you. Let's just spend a few quiet moments with the Lord before we're dismissed.